Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, I'm Steph and this is the Don't Buy Her Flowers podcast. And today's intro is coming to you from... Uh, I am sitting on the Ted Lasso bench overlooking Richmond Green. I don't think it's the same bench because this one looks a bit shabby and is covered in bird poo, but I'm in the spot where they film um, some of Ted Lasso, which I find quite exciting. And it does link to one of our future guests we've got coming up, which I'll come back to at the end. Uh, This week, we're heading into half term, so a bit of trepidation. You just get yourself into a pattern. It feels like we just had Christmas, to be honest, but you get yourself into a pattern and then uh, it all goes out the window again. But, you know... We'll struggle through. There will probably be a lot of fish fingers and a fair bit of TV, but it will be okay. We've just got to remember to breathe. That's been the lesson for this week. Remember to breathe. Um, Today's guest is Natasha Lunn. Natasha is a journalist and author of Conversations on Love, which has just come out in paperback and is also in Don't Buy Her Flowers packages. Um, Natasha writes about love, as you can tell from the title, and she talks about how we put romantic love on a pedestal, but there's so many different types of love. So in the book, she talks about friendships and sibling love and love as a parent. Um, She talks to loads of experts who all give their views on it and essays about these different types of love and in this conversation we talk about friendships and how they change over time Um, we talk about sex and how that changes over time and also early motherhood and the impact um, becoming a parent can have on relationships which is quite um, significant in my experience anyway Um, I'd love to hear about your own experiences once you've had a listen Um, you can contact us on podcast at don'tbuyherflowers.com and also give us a rating review if you're enjoying the episodes Um, I'd love to hear from you and I hope that you enjoy this and then I'll be back at the end your book conversations on love has just been published in paperback so you're probably exhausted from <laughs> the dazzling sort of stuff that goes around a book launch well it, I'm on the nice bit where it's out there and it's done um and I just am speaking to people about all the topics and what bits they liked um and bits that connected with them so this is you've caught me in a fun happy bit I'm sort of high on uh, all these conversations your kind of specialist subject is obviously love but you you the book is like a celebration but and investigation of love so you talk with experts and authors to get their perspectives but it's not just romantic love which is probably the thing that people first think about when you talk about love but it's also um, parenthood and grief and death and marriage and friendships and so there's all these different aspects which your book really tackles but it started as a newsletter 
Yes. And it's funny you say like love is my specialist subject. It almost started <laughs> because it was just actually my terrible, uh, my sort of weakness in that um, it was something that I loved, but always the thing that I felt I was terrible at or mm. failing at. And, you know, at the beginning of every year, I'd look at my career and I think this is what I want to do. And I would look at my health and think, okay, here's what I can do. But with love, I was just like, oh, there's nothing I can do about this section of my life that I seem to fail so spectacularly in. Um, so the book and the newsletter is is not me coming as somebody who knows lots about this topic. It's me saying, I've made so many mistakes. I care about this thing so much. So why do I devote no time to understanding mm. how I could be better at it or how I can work on prioritizing it in different ways um, and trying to, I guess, go on a bit of a personal quest to answer those questions for myself and then hopefully bring people, bring readers along too. So yeah, the newsletter was actually a great, almost like um, focus group in some way, seeing what people reacting to and seeing which were the questions that, that mattered to each of those people. And what, and what was the, what are the theme or what's the, is there one theme that really stands out that everybody kind of engages with more? It's different in each section. I'd say like a big percentage of, the readers are looking for love right. and it might not be a romantic relationship, but maybe it's that they feel they don't have the love in their life that they would like. Mm. Um, and they're looking for some, I guess, comfort and reassurance that they're not alone in that. Um, but also just when you, I mean, I felt this so many times in my life, when you feel you don't have a certain form of love that you want, whether it's a baby, whether it's a set of friends or mm. a partner, it can kind of drain all the color from everything else. And you can become so fixated on not having that love that you don't see all the other forms of love in your life that you do have. Well, this is certainly the case for me. Yeah. Um, so it's really, whenever I do something on say, seeing your parents as a love story, mm. every or, or seeing your sibling as a great love story, anything that's not romantic love, people really respond to that because I don't think there are as many celebrations as those forms of love we don't have a valentine's day for siblings no. um for example mm. and I, I think sometimes you need a reminder that those other forms of love are vital and that you need them too well because you it starts with romantic love and you talk about how we tend to of all the loves we tend to prioritize that and i guess it makes sense that you all the film you know all the romance and films you might get the odd film that's about siblings or friendships but the majority revolve around a romantic love and it's a big story and it's dramatic don't they I was thinking about this and if you told teenage 20 something me that romantic love would be falling to the sort of bottom of the pile <laughs> um she wouldn't have believed you but I think for me it was just what I felt I was lacking I was obsessed with and it's it is much easier to obsess over and pay attention for and long for the, the love that you don't have. Mm. And so when I didn't have romantic love, that was the elusive thing that I just felt everything would be wonderful when this arrived. Um, but of course, when I was trying to conceive after a miscarriage, that was a sort of similar yearning. And then it was like, that's the one thing that will make me happy. Mm. And, and, of, and now it's very easy for romantic love to sort of get pushed aside in that sort of parenthood taking everything from you yeah. so I don't think it for me it is has always been romantic love that I was obsessing over it was just 
whatever form of love I felt I was lacking. Mm. Um, and, and because I think when you have something and it is easier and it's, you know, you take it for granted and it's, it's more difficult to pay attention to it. Well, there's a bit where you write about the stages of love and I guess the ages possibly vary depending on someone's life stage, but it's like there's this bit that's probably in your 20s where friendships are effortless and you have all that energy for them, but finding a romantic relationship is, requires work. And then you meet the person at the beginning. That's the easy bit. You know, you're, it could be that you're married and that's easy. And then your friends need effort because you're more distri- you know, distributed geographically or everyone's distracted by different things. And then as a parent, motherhood takes up all the space and it's your relationship that then kind of falls to the bottom but requires the most work. And mm. I thought, and that as a pattern and as something that I completely get now but definitely was completely oblivious to, especially in all those phases, but especially when I had kids. Mm. And I think it's maybe different if somebody's living with their friends in their 30s or 40s because you do still have that everyday intimacy but I think once you're living apart and you know particularly if you do have children you just can't you you get sort of wiped out at least for the first three months and Mm. then you're breastfeeding and then it's so difficult to get anywhere during the bloody nap times <laughs> it can be such a shock when you have gone from two hour long phone calls you know it's not just seeing each other I, I feel so frustrated now that I can't have a long long mm. chat on the phone with my friend without being you know distracted and crying and oh, so difficult so I think what the book taught me is I guess it's to forgive yourself for things changing and you, you can't fit into the old molds exactly but just to have not just to let them slip, but to say, okay, well, if I can't have the two-hour phone call, am I going to be really honest with my friend about that? And and we'll communicate through voice notes that week instead so we can hear e- lots more snippets of each other's lives. Mm. And it's just finding... I, I think in the past I might have avoided those conversations because I felt too guilty about not being there or not having enough time. Mm. Whereas now I've just learned to voice those things, say, I hate that. I hate that I can't be there at the moment mm. because I really miss you. Even just saying yeah. that is a way of staying close. Yeah, and I think that that acknowledgement that friendships change and actually it brings to the surface the ones that are really important because you realise that you don't need that everyday contact. But when you do see them, there's a bit in the book where you talk about particular friendships that complete you almost or that there's a bit missing when you don't have that contact and when you see them you walk away feeling lighter and I definitely have I've got a particular friend where like she lived in New York for seven years and it was when I was having babies in particular and I did I did I missed her you know I felt separate from her but mm. we were getting on with our lives so it wasn't like I sat there pining for her but when she then came back it was like this piece that had been missing and it was so lovely but we also can't spend all our time together like we did when we mm. lived together at uni or whatever. And it's too much pressure to put on your partner yeah. or anyone to sort of fulfill every need you have or, or to know you in all those different ways. And I'm sure your that particular friend knows you in a very different way that yeah. your partner does. That point about um, wanting to get everything from your romantic partner comes up quite a lot in the book. I think... Um, Esther Perel says about how we look to a partner to provide everything that in the past a whole village used to provide. Mm. Can you talk more about that? Because I think that is 
I know for myself that that's true. I've realised that that's true. Yeah. You can put a lot into one person. Well, yeah, I mean, she was talking also just about the way we don't live in those communal structures mm. and not just friends, but like f- family living so close and supporting you, you know, not just with childcare, but just, just yeah, living more communally um, and how not having, and, you know, things changing over history, like religion used to be one of those things as well, like giving a sense of community and um, just a lot of the stuff that we no longer have. She said that has led us just to load so much expectation for our happiness onto that one person. And it just puts too much pressure on the romantic relationship. And it's it's just not really possible for any one person to make you happy. And and I think the reason that comes up in the lot is because, you know, embarrassingly, that was something that um, I I thought for a long time. Mm. And and I all I just didn't think that I could be happy without a partner. And I, I guess it's a balance between that's something I really wanted, a relationship and 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 it is a really important part of my life, but it's definitely not the only part that brings me joy. Um and, and now I think the reason that I do have a strong marriage is because both of us are very passionate about our friendships mm. and our family. Um, and like, there's such a balance because what you're saying is that you have to accept that you can't see friends as often and, and you do have to get, cut each other some slack for that. But I also think you have to know when you've got to fight against it too and you have to just find a way and be scrappy about it and, mm and not let it go too long and this psychotherapist I interviewed said she was like sometimes I have to say this weekend my friend is more important than my baby than my partner Mm. because if they're never the thing that comes first then it's just going to slip entirely um and actually because of the way that you know societal markers mean that we've got like anniversaries for relationships and we've we've kind of got these fixed things for mm. those other forms of love we don't have those for friendships and and that's amazing because we have so much freedom in them but it almost means we have to sort of force the consistency in yeah. other ways and yeah just it can't always be the thing that falls to the bottom of the list I've learned mm. and I think it's particularly hard when you do have a young you know when you have a young family and you're trying to fit all that stuff in and you realize that and you're putting yourself bottom so although you might recognize that your needs are to see friends or to spend time with your partner you kind of come last I think that's hard and I say all this to you because it's something I'm feel like I'm failing at at the moment and I'm, mm. I'm thinking about it all the time um particularly with friends who don't have kids and how I make sure that they know I love them still if I'm if I can't be there Mm. and this is certainly I feel like maybe my biggest challenge in love at the moment as Mm. well as not neglecting my marriage those two those are the two uh Mm. the two big challenges um but I'm more aware now that there will always be like we were talking about the friendships being easy and then those being harder and the, the challenges shifting all the time and I'm just aware now that you know, I'll get older and my parents might get sick and that will throw in stuff. And, and then I might have teenagers and then that will, you know, I don't know, cause rupture in my relationship. And mm. I'm more prepared now for just challenges in love at every stage. Um, and just aware that you have to keep 
being really honest about where they are and then and putting the attention there. Well, you've written an article about how we can be mean to our partners. Mm. And I thought, because again, I definitely wasn't mean before having kids, but and I've, I've written about a feeling of rage at my husband and it happened after all three children. So it wasn't like just the first one, um, which was in part resentment. It felt like his life didn't really change. And I completely, you know, my body, my brain, my, where I was every day, everything had changed. And, um, and I, the kindness just completely went but mm. in your article you write about how to get that kindness back and um, I'm, I'm just nodding because I was completely the same <laughs> although I'm a may, maybe I was mean before having a kid too <laughs> but that feeling of um of resentment that in those initial like you're leaving the house yeah. and I'm not and and even after miscarrying I was like you don't have to have the surgery and I do like mm. there's just some level that I can never bring you fully on this experience with me um and I don't know how did you because my, my way through that was just to to say absolutely everything to say it might be unfair but I'm feeling so resentful of you and just to, I said every awful <laughs> mean thing and it was so helpful because then he's he would say or oh, I'm feeling really sad that I'm not with her as much as you are mm. and and I it just helped me see to have empathy for his experience. And I don't think I would have wanted necessarily to have to go back to work after two weeks. And is that's why it's so conflicting, isn't it? Because yeah, you, well, actually in the book, um, Diane Evans talks about the duality of parenthood and it's exactly that. It's that massive love, like you, that my kids being this huge love affair with them and getting to know them and all that stuff. And yet with them coming along was Hard, really hard so you're also tired and exhausted and you realize that your relationship feels like it's going down the pan at times and that is it's so conflicting because actually mm -hmm. it's almost the kids are all that cat they're the catalyst for that change yeah but you I, I didn't blame them I would never have blamed them so it all had to go directed to someone oh yeah which was my husband <laughs> it's interesting because when I was um interviewing a psychotherapist last night he said with kids it's almost not love it's like devotion yeah it's it's it takes so much from you and in a way that makes me so grateful for my romantic relationship because it doesn't take from you in that way mm. um I, I think perhaps the thing that's helped me most of all is when we're talking about the resentment and I don't know about you, but like we'd be like competing over lack of sleep. Oh, and yeah, whenever we yeah. get to like the really honest truth of it, like I was saying, him saying, me realizing that I didn't really want to be in his position either. And just th thinking like, there's no one who's going to win here. Like, <laughs> you're no not the enemy. Yeah. There is no point trying to compete with you. And I always have that word, just like stop competing. Mm. Um, and I think there's some quote someone said, it's like, Marriage is the only game where if you both try and win, you both lose. Yeah. And I, I try and keep that in mind all the time. Did it help? Because you you do write in the book about, the like, the end of the book, I think, is where you have had Joni or you, yeah, that's the, the kind of last chapter. And you talk about the small kindnesses that you realise were really important in your relationship. And I don't think I got that for quite some time like I didn't realize that what we were lacking was kindness mm. did that help in that phase it really helped and I the reason one of the reasons I wrote the book 
hoping that other people feel this way too, is I realize I need reminders of this stuff all the time mm -hmm. because I would read an amazing article by Esther Perel and think, yes, I'm going to come home and I'm going to be kind. And then of course I forget a week later. <laughs> um, what writing this book has done, it's just each conversation was like a little reminder all the time. And particularly now as I'm talking about them and thinking and rereading it, I wouldn't say that I'm never mean and I'd complete, I completely make those same mistakes, but it, I'm just able to catch myself when I'm making them mm. and think, hang on, you know, this is not going to be helpful. Although I've had, obviously the paperbacks come out and we talk about all these forms of love and then you have work in there as well. Mm. And when that is, is at the forefront, then I'm not as good if I'm honest at those things, because I, I can't possibly have the work be so busy and, and center stage and then and have give the everything baby you and the friends. give to Joni and give it to, yeah. I, but I think in time you realize that sometimes it will be you that gives and sometimes it will be them that gives. And that's, mm. as, and, and if you can both do that, you then are able to lift yourself out of it a bit as well. And then it's that kind of, you go back and forth. So rather than it being the tit for tat bit where you're like, who's going to win it this is the most shit bit it's kind of if, if you can give that kindness and then they give a bit and you kind of then get back onto an even keel I think the kindness tip for tat sort of thing yeah 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 and I remember when I was really in the thick of it as I was telling you before that our baby had reflux so she couldn't sleep on her back so we mm -hmm. literally hold her up and she was in such agony she would just cry mm -hmm. all day and mm -hmm. all night and um and we, I don't think we really had a conversation that was not about her. It was just like survival. Mm. And um, my husband had left me a little poem on the kitchen counter. I can't remember, but it was, it was like about a woman who was so tired and a mother and, and she didn't feel like she would ever find herself again, but in time she would. Mm. And it makes me almost cry because mm. I hadn't told him that I was struggling, but he, it was just a few lines which said like, I see you mm. and you'll get yourself back. And as soon as I felt like he saw and understood how I was feeling, it didn't matter that it was hard. Mm. It's when I think you feel somebody doesn't see you yeah. and they don't know and they don't, they're not interested in knowing how you're feeling um, that you can feel lonely. It's very hard to explain, I think, as well, when you're in it. Like, so I I think I used to say, just be kind to me or I'd, or I'd say, you know, I feel lonely. And mm. you could see him kind of going, why you saw somebody you know you met someone for coffee with the babies or you did the, and it was like but I've lost myself I, I felt like I'd lost myself completely mm. and I didn't really know what what to do or who I was at, at times and actually I was thinking of an embarrassing example of when um, because my husband works in a primary school so he would have half term and I remember planning to myself thinking I'm going to get out of the house at six. So he has to endure what I have to morning all over. Oh my I'm God, come yeah. back yeah. Because I really wanted him to know. And then I, yeah. but then I, again, it's the book made me think, hang on, wouldn't it be nice for neither of us to have a hard day and us to have a nice day together? <laughs> oh, that but, brings back memories. Like if I went away, like if I was, or went out for the evening and had, was seeing friends, it would really piss me off if he either had an easy time of it or if I was having a like a weekend away or a night away, if he went to his parents mm. for the help, because I yes. think but I have to do this on my own and I want you to know, which, and he'd be like, why would you want me to suffer? Yeah. But I did. Like, if I'm really honest, I I'm so glad you say this too. <laughs>
Um, but so actually something else is this is not in the book that I found so helpful that I think you might find interesting is um I interviewed Brené Brown oh, just wow. before Christmas amazing yeah and, and she talked about this thing called stealth expectations and the example she gave is exactly how I feel that if she had the kids on her own for the weekend she she wouldn't feel that stress she she wouldn't get much done but she would just be you know reasonable hmm. if she had the kids with her partner by Sunday, she would feel so stressed that she hadn't got done all the things that she wanted to do because, mm. because they were there together. She set these stealth expectations, mm. right? Okay, I'm going to get this book written. I'm going to get this done. And, and it, she said, sometimes we, it's easier on our own because we almost write off that we could get anything done. Mm. And we just, we, we're not angry or resentful of anyone because yeah. that's just how it is. And so she said, what we've got to do is almost reality check our own expectations first with ourselves. like you've got kids you know even though there's both of you are you really going to write 10,000 words are you really going to be able to go shopping see your friend do all that is that realistic for what time you've got that weekend mm. and then make them clear and and tell your partner rather than just expecting them to know <laughs> her, yeah her husband said something to me like I'm happy to be in the movie of your life but I'll need the lines in in but in advance, because yeah. she's like, you never told me you wanted to write. And actually, although we're, we're being honest, um, which is useful about the difficulties in the romantic relationship mm. with your parents, like there is also an amazing part of your relationship, like being united in this sort of shared mm. purpose and both, you know, no one else know, cares as much as you two do about this thing. Mm. And just feeling like such a team there's there's something you know for all the stuff that you lose in a relationship you gain mm. that and and you gain you know even now like the depth of having survived some of the stuff and being in hospital together and 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 all those sort of things you endure when you come out the other side it does add this depth and weight to your relationship and I know that when I look at my husband now I see like the time that we were crying together in a hospital and mm. I see the time when we just find a way to laugh when we haven't slept for four days. And I, I see all that hard stuff mixed in with the like giddy, easy times. And, mm. and it's the combination of all those things that make the relationship beautiful now. That's another thing that um, a few of the experts talk about, that we see happiness as mandatory. So we kind of lose sight if, if there's any other emotion going on, we kind of think, oh, well, this isn't working. And mm. actually, exactly as you just described, a full relationship is going to have all of those things. There will be sadness and envy and resentment as well as happiness and laughs and everything else. I, I talk about the end that if I, you know, if I could have written my own love story, I would have been stayed with the person I met at 16, mm. had kids in my early 20s, married them, just never had any difficulty, never been dumped. And everyone I love would be happy. I just would have written this very straight, easy narrative. And and I just know for a fact now that the love story I have today in my life is just far more beautiful and meaningful and imaginative than anything that I could have possibly dreamt up for myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful that I have those tougher experiences there like you know even with friends like seeing a friend through a grief or them seeing you through grief it adds this depth to your friendship and mm. and even 
periods of disconnection when you, in your romantic relationship, when you go through something hard and then you come back together again, mm. feels so meaningful. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. There's a really interesting bit about sex as well and how at the beginning, which I imagine is a phase that most of us can remember <laughs> or some people might be in, but where you basically want to do it all the time. And it's that um, you know, passionate, spontaneous desire that actually we all then go forward thinking that's what we should be recreating all the time. And that's what happens mm. in all the films. And one of the experts said that that has to happen at the beginning because you're basically physiologically drawing each other to, you're drawing each other to each other. And in time when you are more settled, you don't need that. Yeah. And she kind of is explaining that, I mean, not in every case, but sometimes that's because you're wanting to secure the attachment. Mm. And so if you are in a relationship, which I certainly experienced, which is not stable and you don't know where you stand, sometimes you can be really motivated to have sex all the time because mm. you feel so unsure and insecure that you're trying to sort of secure the attachment and, and regain something that you feel you're already losing. Mm. Whereas like, yeah, and as you say, when you feel really, really secure in the attachment, you don't... Um, necessarily have that sort of panic feeling that you need to do something mm. but she was she was sort of explaining that some people absolutely have spontaneous desire throughout their relationship regardless of how secure they feel but it's also completely normal to only experience desire responsively so sort of to only start wanting sex while you're having it so you start to desire it in response to erotic stimulation rather than just oh, out of the blue, I want to have sex. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of conversations about, oh, you need to schedule sex and you need to do these things. And I think I sort of heard that so many times. I'm like, yeah, yeah. But understanding the psychology of that, like actually the fact that you don't want sex is nothing to do with how much you are attracted to your partner or how good your sex life is. Mm. It's just maybe that's the way you experience desire. You need for something to start before you feel aroused. 
and understanding that definitely changed the way I experience sex and and I guess judge sex. Mm. There's parts of the book that talk about self-understanding as well and how important that is in love and I guess that's for all kinds of different relationships like understanding why you might act in a certain way or react in a certain way and what that means. And self-understanding I think it's important because to be in a relationship, you know, whether it's a friendship or parental relationship or romantic, you need to kind of communicate the truth of how you feel again and again. Mm. You need to keep sharing your vulnerabilities. And if you don't understand what those really are, if you don't understand, you know, like when we were talking about wanting them to experience what we had had in parenthood, Mm -hmm. if we don't understand where that's coming from, it's so difficult for us to help them understand it. Mm. And, And I think then you can get into a lot of misunderstandings of each other. And that's when it's much easier to sort of compete or to misinterpret each other. Um, But still self-understanding is so hard. Mm. Um, And one of the things that I'm most surprised about coming out of this project is just how there are parts of ourselves that we still don't know and that will always be a mystery to us as well. And I know that I can have a reaction to something. I'm like, where's that come from? Mm you know, I'm surprising myself. I thought I would want this, but actually now I'm here, I want this. And that, so I don't think you can ever get to a phase of complete self-understanding, but like Heather Havrilski puts it, like sometimes when we find our real feelings, we can kind of drape shame on them or feel that they're ugly or all these things. And I just now trying to strip all that and say the worst thing out loud all the whole time. Yeah, there's a bit about um, envy and friendships, which I think is really interesting, especially when you mm. look at it in the context of going through these different stages. And it might be, I'm I'm thinking in particular, like when a friend who's a really old friend meets new friends, which obviously is going to happen as you get older, and yeah. you feel an envy at that person who is probably really lovely because yeah. if they've chosen them as a friend. They're not likely to be a dickhead, but you, you feel that. And then you feel shame because you're like, well, I'm not 12. Like what's that? And, and you probably making new friends all the time yeah. as well. And it's, um, yeah. And I'd certainly felt that when a lot of my friends sort of married and had kids younger um, and, before me and and you know obviously you're in such different life stages and I remember them having a lot of friends who were mums and finding that sadness about oh there's a part of you that we just can't share or like I'm never really going to understand that for you um and I remember feeling really envious of that that's really hard I think Helen Russell in How to Be Sad talks about infertility and how she talks about how awful that was and how sad she felt but then she talks about when she had a baby feeling this enormous guilt at all these people that she had connected with over Mm. infertility and then and I think that's such a huge um emotion to have to add into having a baby if you then do have a baby and I think that we're going to come across I mean that's obviously a particularly um painful example but Mm. I just you know we do start out on on more of an even keel when we're at school and we're experiencing a lot of stuff at the same time but I think unfortunately or or maybe fortunately because it can lead to more honest conversations we're all going to have these seismic shifts like only more and more as we get into our 40s 50s 60s 70s Mm. as 
people lose people at different points and I just now, especially from speaking to so many other people, understand that there is no linear path through life where we all get to experience things at the same time. And so actually, you know, if you only make friends with people who, or, or retain friendships with people who are experiencing stuff at similar times, you'll probably find you don't have many friends left at <laughs> no, the end. Because, no. um, And of course, it's great, you know, I found having NCT mums to be amazing and, and to have people who are like on the same week as you and you can meet up in the park and cry mm. is such a special thing. But I really treasure when I find ways to stay close to friends, like despite the envy, you, you know, being able to say to a friend, I'm so happy you're pregnant, but it's really hard for me. Like when you can say that such a difficult thing, mm. it just brings you so close and it, it makes both of you feel less alone so I'm trying to I'm trying to get better at, at not avoiding those feelings and just accepting that they're completely normal and yes we can say like we're not 12 but it really is just coming from a place of love because you love your friend and mm. and and you're worried about losing her but of course you you don't lose her when she yeah. makes new friends so it's almost having the feeling and the thinking oh probably natural to feel that but it, it's completely normal yeah do you think because you're older and wiser and you've and you know and we've learned we, we I guess we start to introspect more at the, it feels like at this point of your life you have to try and figure out some stuff and it almost makes you have much more vulnerable conversations with each other that you probably didn't need to have one just didn't have in your 20s and I don't I'm I think I was a very immature embarrassing 20 year old and I was very concerned about being cool and I was just chasing terrible boys and going out all the time and just very wrapped up in this little what I thought was cool bubble mm. and I think that maybe friends who didn't live in London I just I, our lives weren't overlapping and so it was just it just slipped mm. um whereas I think now I understand much more that I don't need a friend to have all the same interests as me or to, you know to work in writing for instance and um, to have the same views on everything as me actually with those friends in particular we're all so different but there's an intimacy there that is beyond all that stuff mm. and and they knew me when I was like a teenage goth and I didn't know who I was mm. um, and there's something so nice about you know for all the different versions that you try on in your 20s mm. they don't really care about any of that they know who I am. Well, especially because you get to an age where lots of people, you know, you know, my kid, two of my kids are at school. So, you know, lots of other parents from school, but you don't have that background. Yeah. You might, you might have one or two that you then get to know and you hang out a lot, but majority of people don't have that knowledge of you. So they don't know, they might just see this person in the playground and they are going to make assumptions on based how you look or based if you walk in looking harassed or if you look really together or you know they're going to think these things of you whereas that and that almost makes it more powerful than when you come together with your old friends who know all of the daft stuff you've done as well as all the brilliant stuff you've done yeah and it's it's become really important I think friendships is such a space where I'm not a mum and I love Mm. I love that they see me as not a mother yeah. and not to say, I, I mean, I feel so conflicted about this all the time because there's one part of me that's like, I don't want to be defined as 
a mum all the time because I want to have a space to like inhabit the different versions of myself but obviously then it's such a big part of my existence so mm. I do want to be defined as that too because otherwise I'm, I'm denying a big part of who I am now but I love it when I see friends and we don't talk at all about that we talk about like weird crushes from school and where they are now and <laughs> yeah. did you see laugh. what so-and-so is doing on Facebook yeah exactly did yeah. you see our terrible ex-boyfriend as an anti-vaxxer just <laughs> all this stuff and it's so it's so joyful mm. yeah and I think I think that again in that early phase of motherhood that you're in that that changes as well that that understanding of where motherhood fits within you as a person because mm. it, it, it's so consuming I mean if you go into those first few months when you're literally your body you're giving in some cases you're giving well you are in pregnancy you're giving your body over and then you might be giving your body over to feed them you're you're everything you know it's um life no I think Diana Evans said life no longer belongs to you for a period that's really true it is and even with breastfeeding I don't think I realized till I stopped I stopped about 10 months mm. and and after I did I've I realized how much I enjoyed stopping yeah like just oh I was like there was just some part of me that was back that I didn't even realize and uh, it wasn't really about body and yeah. I know I, I met somebody who said I miss breastfeeding I love it I was like I don't feel I at the time I didn't think it but when I came out I was like it's so nice to just just have my own self back I a hundred percent agree on that. Well, that's how I felt completely felt. Mm. And I did, and it doesn't mean that I would change when I, you know, how much I breastfed or anything else, but you, that feeling of, you realize how much you've been giving, I think. Exactly. Of your head, even your headspace. It's like, you're always thinking, oh, and then I've got to do another fit and it's on you. It's that's again, when it comes to your relationship, that is something that is on you that they can't necessarily help with. And I already feel like when you, when I stop that, it's like you're getting back a bit of the equality in the relationship too. Yes. Like for everything that is less physical, every step that you take to being more equal in the parenting, for me, it just helps. Like that's where the resentment was. It's like, yes. I wish you could breastfeed. <laughs> I wish you could give birth, but you can't. Um, and what is the most unexpected thing you've learned about love? I think it is that long-term love is much more thrilling and mysterious and fragile than I thought it was. So when I, when I approached the project, as I was saying to you, I was like, long-term love is this safe companionship. You almost become like friends and it's this sort of, you know, that's how we often talk about it. Um, and speaking to people who've been together for a really long time, who have almost started new relationships within their long-term relationships decade by decade, mm. who had kind of had seismic shifts in those and um, become new people. And I guess we still felt like love was a mystery to them. That to me um, is so exciting now. Like I, I feel like I know less than I did and I don't feel that I know where my relationship will be in 10 years. And and that's so exciting to me. Um, you know, I probably approached this project thinking, I'm going to learn everything about love and I'm going to know how to avoid all the arguments. I'm going to be, and now I'm just much more humble in, in the face of 
the mystery of it. And you also, at the end, you say about having a fresh determination where there's so, so much to distract us from love and realising that you need to pay attention to it. How do we do that? I mean, writing the newsletter and writing the book is has, basically that helps me because every time I have one of those conversations, like I come downstairs and I will have a different conversation with my partner. Mm. So I think it is seeking out to read stuff about love just as we would about the news or about climate change or anything else that is important to our lives, like making taking an interest in the subject and you know, in the same way we think about our jobs or our health, it just needs to be somewhere on the list of things that you actively are going to participate in. So, you know, I'm guilty of the beginning of the year. I'd be like, well, I'm going to write, make this vision board for my job. And, and you know, lots, lots of people asking me now, like, when's your next book? When are you going to start writing? And I was like, I, I want to live by what I've written and I am... I'm going to take time now to make love a priority for the next year. Mm. And I don't want to fill my life with so much work that I have no room left for anything else. And I'm not sure that I would have made that decision four years ago. Mm. And, and so I guess the way that I pay attention to love now is just being ambitious for it as much as I would be for anything else in my life. Mm. There's so there's so much in the book that's almost like a guide to this rush hour when it comes to friendships and bereavement and fertility and marriage and romantic love. It's it's I would highly recommend it. I think um and also this the stuff is particularly on relationships, romantic relationships. I just think it makes you look at it in a slightly different way in or in lots of different ways, which as you say, we haven't really time and attention into before other than to go it's very important and I want to get married but you haven't really thought about how that (laughs) plays out and I would say on on for anyone interested in what we're talking about like kindness in a long-term relationship and Mm. sustaining it there is one interview with a relationship coach called Susan Quilliam Mm -hmm. and it is about this why sustaining kindness in a long-term relationship is difficult and on reading that has um definitely helped me pay better attention has at least made me realize when I'm getting it wrong. Mm. <laughs> like I, I often say, I was like, I, I know I'm being really mean and snapping. <laughs> I haven't quite figured out why, but it mm. might be about this. And then he might say, maybe you're also feeling like this about this. And it just, just opening up a conversation rather than just sort of stewing in your own um, yeah. pissed off. But it's like, I'm being a bitch and I'm really sorry, but I am aware of it at least. I think it maybe I'm not sorry yet, but I feel like I should be. <laughs> I probably be. will be later when I'm feeling less angry at you. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. This has been so fun. I've talked about lots of things that um, I haven't had the opportunity to do anywhere else. So it's, it's really Good. fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I would love to hear from you. We've got some future episodes coming up on sex, um, overwhelm, mental health. We're talking about the rush hour always. And we've got a motherhood series. So talking to lots of women um, who have different and I'm sure some connecting experiences of motherhood. And so you can email me on podcast at don'tbuyherflowers.com or slide into my DMs on Instagram. Uh, and yeah we've got future guests we've got coming up we've got Ellie Taylor that's my connection with the Ted Lasso bench 
obviously I will be trying to get all the um, inside info about Ted Lasso because I really, really love that show. And we've also got Dr. Karen Gurney, who is our sex expert coming up. We've got Rosie Ramsey. I will be finding out all about what it is to be a pretty fly podcaster. She's absolutely smashing it with um, her husband, Chris. Yeah, we've got loads of stuff coming up. So keep tuning in, um, subscribe, and then you'll get the ping when we release a new episode. And yeah, good luck, everybody. I hope this is a good week. And as I said, yeah, we just got to remember to breathe. Thank you.